for me, if I'm t talking to another teacher about this, I, I want to first start by saying, like, are, are you, do you see how the traditional way of grading fails? Like, do you see how that is not a good way of describing a, a student's achievement? Hi, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of the Exploring the Core podcast. Today's conversations with James Mattis, Tim Kakotovich, and Anna Mae Drake, who share their challenges and success in adopting a standards-based learning approach at their high school. Thanks for listening. Today's conversation is one of the longer ones in the season because we're hearing a story of three educators with three distinctly different perspectives who work together to significantly change how their school approached teaching and learning with standards-based learning. James, as an administrator, introduced standards-based learning in 2015 to a school that was mostly traditional in their practices. Anna, who was already a teacher at that school and noticeably resistant to what was perceived at the time as a radical change. And Tim, who was brought in a few years into the school's transition, was altogether on board with the idea from the get-go. And all of this took place from around 2015 all the way up through the pandemic in 2020 and on into 2021. Now, spoiler alert, they did successfully adopt standards-based learning by the time the pandemic came around, but it's the years leading up to that point and the unique challenges they faced in teacher resistance and creating a shared language and shared understanding of the underlying principles of a standards-based approach that makes this conversation so important for any school to listen to and consider reflecting on as a community of teachers and learners. And not to spoil the end, but I'd like to share what Tim ends up sharing near the end of the episode, that shifting to standards-based learning is a process. It's a philosophical movement. You can't skip steps. You have to agree on these fundamental principles before you can flip the switch. So, I hope you take the time to consider the perspective of these three amazing educators and do check out the show notes for their contact information if you have any questions you want to discuss with them at any time in the future. And with that, please enjoy this episode. And so I um, was the assistant principal at the International School of Panama, which is where I met both Anna and Tim, although at different points along the line. So um, Anna can introduce and give her own bio. Um, but Anna was there before I arrived, and Tim arrived after I did. So that's kind of the sequence of events. And we worked together at various stages to craft a, what I think, a very robust and very well thought out standards-based uh, assessment system over the course of about eight years, I think, from start to finish, uh, assuming finishes next year. Um, that would be about eight years of, of tinkering and, and tweaking and, and rolling out of the program. So um, so I can begin with the beginning, I guess. Um, and then if Anna and Tim want to jump in along the timeline where you came in, or if you want to just add your thoughts to flesh out more of what I was saying, it'd be fine. Does that work for you, Greg? That sounds great, and I'm excited to hear okay. everybody's part of this excellent story. Okay, all right, good. Well, we hope it's excellent. So, um, so back in 2015, um, my sorry, 2014, uh, my boss came to me and said, uh, "We're gonna re we're gonna look at our reevaluate our assessment practices, and I want you to head up this committee." So, I had already been philosophically aligned with the idea of some sort of standards-based system. I wasn't quite sure how I thought it should look, but I knew that that going from the traditional grading practices wasn't working um, the way it was aligning with me as a teacher. And so I'd been given permission actually by my principal as a teacher at the time to go and experiment and do whatever I wanted to do. Now, the I should explain as background that the International School of Panama is an IB school. And so, and I was teaching IB economics and IB global politics at the time. And so I said, I want to mess, I want to experiment with using the IB one through seven as a grading system and, you know, see how that works for the actual one through 100 conversion. And they said, go for it. And I explained to the parents and the parents didn't understand what I was doing. So therefore 
didn't critique me. <laughs> so, so I kind of got, kind of got away with it for a while. Um, but then, so he said he wanted to put this committee together. So I agreed I would head up the committee, um, knowing that I was about to transition into the assistant principal role. Um, so I, I kind of took it with that lens as well. And we spent a lot of time on this committee exploring the research and just creating um, from a Venn diagram, we, we had, you know, what do, what do we know? What does the research say? What do we believe? Which can be two different things. And then the third part of that Venn diagram was what do we do? And then looking at that intersection of the three, coming up with a, uh, a plan for how do we reconcile those three parts of the Venn diagram. Um, and so that committee met for a year and just, it was basically a research exploratory, not, no decisions were being made at all. Um, nothing was even being brought to the faculty. It was just a, a think tank kind of thing um, on, on purpose. And it's funny as one of the members of that committee, um, she was very, uh, she's a math teacher. So she was very much like, let's get this done now. <laughs> let's, let's get this product out and let's, you know, what is the end product going to be? And I kept saying, I don't know. We're going to spend some time learning first as a group. Um, and then we sort of got a little bit of uh, impetus to, to move a little further in terms of changing some assessment practices, not necessarily rolling out a standards-based system, but looking at some of our practices like zeros and uh, late work and things like that. So the committee morphed into a smaller group uh, designed to take action um, and come up with this proposal. So we did, we spent a year on that. Um, and then... And then that group then expanded to a much larger group of from five people to 20 people. Um, and then that group to chew up everything that we had sort of talked about. And then that group then brought the whole thing to the full faculty. And including that proposal were things like reassessment, opportunities for students, getting rid of eliminating zeros, dividing formative work from summative work and not creating homework. Um, and we, and a couple other minor what would be considered now minor tweaks, but at the time we're new to the faculty. So Anna, you might want to jump in at this point with what you, what happened on your end as a, as a, being a faculty member. Okay, so um, starting off with this, I am a high school English teacher. I was at the school about four or five years, I guess, based on the timeline James is saying, um, and had been a teacher for six years before that, so about a decade behind me. And um, I would say what was interesting about it was James took a very like questioning approach about practices. Like what do the grades represent? What are we trying to say with these? Or he would, he would ask a question like, um, he would ask a question like, why do we have fixed deadlines? Right. And, and so at first it was very overwhelming because it was like, as a teacher, it was like, but wait, these are like practices that we've had for like, God knows how long, you know, if you, you're, you're even taught in teacher college, you know, like if you don't set deadlines, if you don't have boundaries, if you don't, you know, have expectations, this is part of your classroom management, even like it all runs together. And, and I think that it was interesting that he was he was challenging some of those assumptions and it was really hard for me to get past some of them. Like at the beginning, I was like, but wait, you know, like we need grades. Otherwise, how would we know whether kids are really learning? Right. Or because that was my grade book. My grade book shows the journey. Right. And, mm. and, and that was kind of where I was coming from. And I didn't realize that those were some assumptions that I was placing on grading at the time. It was very overwhelming because I was thinking, well, how does this change what I normally do in the classroom? How does this change, you know, the implementation? Because I think often as teachers, you think of admins as, yes, they're nice people, but, you know, often misguided. <laughs> it's, it's kind of where you're coming from as a teacher often. And, and I think that when you've been in a school for a long time, you're aware of a school's history too, and you're aware of trends that come and go. And so you're you're a lot less quick to jump on any kind of bandwagon without first understanding it. So James first started giving us research, okay? Like bits and pieces of research. And at first I was like, yes, I understand the research. I got the why. My issue is 
how do I do this? Like, what does this even look like? And it seemed like a number of things implementation wise needed to be changed. And that was overwhelming. The idea of like, whoa, 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 whoa. this is where we're coming from. This changes a whole bevy of things. And, and that was hard to think about. So I was openly hostile at meetings, I'll be honest. Um, gave James a really hard time. And Tim's laughing because he knows me and he knows that like, I'm always dropping these little bombs in places sometimes. And I have to sometimes, I'm actually Tim a lot better now than I was then. <laughs> Believe it or not. So, so, so like me, it was very overwhelming. So if, I, if I could jump like, in. Yeah. So I, I can verify that Anna was opening hostile in meetings. Uh, and, um, not never, never rude. Of course, it, was, it wasn't a rude. It was just more of a, I could sense the panic. And so, and Anna was actually a really good barometer for me as I was working with the committee. Cause it was this tight team of five of us that we would go back and debrief after each, each staff meeting if something was rolled out and would be like, okay, how did that go? And for me, it was like, if Anna was cool with it, if she was on board, then I knew we had done a really good job at calming all and solving all the fears. And, and I remember saying a number of times with this small group saying like, we're, we're blowing some people's minds. Like there's some things in here that we may be comfortable with it because we've, we meet every week and we sit and we talk, but some people for this, then they're, they're in panic mode. And, and what I kept bringing up all the time to the faculty was something I'd read in a, a book that Gusky and, and Sue Brookhart had written that basically said like, don't, you got to start with a why the report card is the last thing. Like, so any changes you're making and, and, and people, Anna kept saying like, I want to see the report card. Like, what does this look like? And I kept saying, I'm not going to show you it because it's, that's the last step. Although I did provide some sample uh, to make everybody feel a little bit better. But so it was, it was more about keeping uh, the pace slow and keeping it little, little dribbles at a time while, while trying to change the philosophy the whole way through. Now, if um, I can jump in there, I'm curious yeah. what types of practices specifically were blowing the faculty's mind? Yeah. Well, I can kind of answer that. I think um, we had never heard of self-paced learning ever. Like that was never a thing. Um, we had done some project-based learning and we like what really changed it for me that got me really on board was when we did a full study on inquiry-based learning. And we also had some professional development that talked about portfolio development. And then I started to see like, oh, I see that we can, how we need to really respect this learning journey. And there's different ways of documenting this other than having a grade in a grade book that tells us where the kids are at, right? And the idea that like, we can write descriptions of where the student's really at. Right? And we were wrestling with this as a teaching staff as well, like writing not about the student, but about the learning, right? When we're making comments and report cards. And so when I put the project-based learning and the inquiry-based learning together, I realized, oh, this is a natural jumping off point to understanding why and how standards-based grading and learning could work. Once that happened, it was like, oh, okay, I got it. And so there were these other professional development things that really, for me, laid that foundation because it was scary to, number one, think about not grading. What will parents think? Number two, what do we do if stupid, like, I don't want to be chasing students all over the place. I don't think any teacher does, you know, like we were thinking, gosh, this is going to be a lot of work. They're not going to respond. They're not going to listen. Like, how do we hold them accountable? All of those are big questions. And the big one is always like, oh, but this doesn't represent real life. You know, in real life, we have fixed deadlines and everything has to be the way that it is or else how could they survive in, a wor in the workforce one day, right? And so those were things that came up frequently and I think still come up in our Facebook group quite frequently as to people's concerns and why, why it's a scary thing. And I'd, I'd like to uh, segue to Tim as well, um, but in order to do that, I just want to make sure that I honor some of the work that Anna referenced as well, that simultaneous to this conversation happening in the high school, the middle school was going through a similar conversation. The elementary had already gone through the conversation, but in a, in a very different way. And then we had some, some big thought thinkers like John Shea and Vicki Stiebert, who were pushing for project-based learning, for inquiry-based learning. And so those conversations were happening simultaneously. So all of this stuff was happening at the same time. 
And then we decided, okay, we've got these fundamentals down, like in terms of reassessment and, and separating formative from summative. And then we said, okay, now I think we might be ready to go towards a standards-based report card. Um, and it turns out I was wrong. We, we weren't ready. We were, we were still a little far away from the goal. So a new committee was formed um, and that's where Tim comes in. So Tim, had, at this point, you can jump into the chronology here. Sure, James. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey, Greg, it's, it's very nice to meet you. Uh, thanks for having us on. Uh, Anna, always good to talk to you. And uh, James, it's great to hear your voice again. We, we, we missed you at ISP, I think. Um, I love talking about this uh, topic. I, I've I had a really good experience with this. Um, but let me go to right where James said. But first, let me get my, my noise uh, canceling feature off. Okay, now I can hear myself. All right. Um, so I entered ISP the fall of 2019, and um, I already knew, just like what James and what Anna said, that a lot of work had been done um, up until this point. Um, zeros, retakes, the math department graded everything on a rubric, on a one, two, three, or four. We assigned it to a percentage. That's how we were doing it. Um, in my experience teaching in California for five years previously, it was kind of right where we had been doing things. I'd been lucky enough to teach uh, in the Bay Area in some good progressive schools that had been thinking about these things before. So I was feeling um, like I was joining the fight at a really nice time. Um, and then the halfway through the year, I think these new committees were being formed, standards-based grading and standards-based reporting. James was on the grading one. I think I signed up for the grading one with James. Um, and then there was a call for someone to kind of help facilitate or help lead this committee. And I thought it'd be interesting to try that out, even though, to be honest with you, standards-based grading, I hadn't done ever. I didn't really have a good idea of what had to be done to make it happen. I just knew some of the grading philosophies that, that were already in place. Um, and so James and I started meeting in maybe January, James, I'm not quite sure about the process that this was gonna take. Um, and to be honest, when I reflect on that time from January, 2020 to March 2020, it was a lot of values and language. And I got thinking about how many achievement levels do we want? I remember James being in favor of a three point. Many of our IB teachers were in favor of a seven point. Um, people were talking about five and four. I mean, we had to debate all these things very openly. Um, and it took a long time. Um, and it, I, to be honest, really enjoyed those meetings. And I enjoyed being able to kind of talk with James before and after to kind of plan and to kind of get that process in my brain a little bit more. And then March 2020 hit, COVID took over, and we went um, all to online meetings. And so, I don't know, I think it was from March to the end of the school year, every Thursday from, I'm thinking it was 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. We had an hour of standards-based grading um, meeting time. And I, I look back extremely fondly on, on these meetings because of just how challenging they were um, once we got to the seven point achievement level, seven, seven, seven achievement levels, we then started to think about language. And um, boy, that's hard getting people to agree on descriptors on language that is describing student achievement in a way that everyone can agree on and use. That was a multi month process. And um, we got like a, a version of it. James was able to call in Ken O'Connor to come in and talk to us about the pros and cons of the language and how we plan on kind of putting all of the data together into a little bit of reporting thinking too, um, which for me, I, I, this was all new to me. And I was able to, I was trying just to take notes to make sure that, that, that the committee was keeping going and ha having progress, even though we were all online and kind of going through a very bizarre time in the world. Um, so I, I, that's where I'll stop and then feel free to ask questions or feel to, to keep on, um, checking in on what, on what we want to talk about here. But I just, I remember taking forever to get like a language draft and then letting uh, Ken O'Connor kind of help us revise and just really making progress slowly. And I, and I did neglect to say that we were, yeah, this all was all happening while the pandemic was raging around us. And so, so all of this other stuff was happening. And, and then Tim's leading this committee of, I think that committee was one of the best committees I've ever sat on because everybody, with all the chaos that was happening around them, they still showed up every Thursday at 4 p.m. for yet another Zoom call uh, yeah. to sit and talk. If you've been on, you know, Google Meets all day with your kids and then sit around and, and chew the fat for another four to five 
4, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. So Now, here's my question. You're meeting every Thursday to talk about standards-based grading, but your school hadn't fully adopted standards-based grading yet, correct? Right. So correct. Although I will say... Um, once I saw the direction that we were going in, because I like to, I like to get a jump on whatever practice is happening so that it's not a shock to my system. So once we were in these conversations, James introduced a timeline and he basically said from here to here, this is what we're planning on doing from here to here. Here's the next step from here to here. There's where we want to be. And that really helped me in terms of my panic levels. Cause then I was like, I know what's coming. I have a chance to plan for this. And by the time we were in the pandemic, I was already, I had already programmed my gradebook on a one to seven system to be able to just put like a one to seven in there and then have my gradebook work. Now, granted, it wasn't standards-based grading, but it was a way to communicate to my students in advance, kind of um, along that one to seven guideline, I could use the descriptors, descriptors already. And I had already been doing that for a couple of years after we had been in talks. So so there were a lot of us, I think, that were already seeing where we were going and we're already experimenting and taking some steps in the right direction. Were all the teachers doing what you were doing, Anna, and starting to adopt these uh, a la carte practices, like using one to seven achievement scales in their grade books, even though you weren't actually standards based yet, were a lot of the teachers doing what you were doing in that way? I can really only speak for my English department, but I worked with um, Tammy Krutz, who was another English teacher, and she, as well as Morgan Byatt, were working with their mastery gradebooks in Canvas and trying to find a way of like utilizing those. And so it, I think it did prompt some room for experimentation. And I would say when it comes to learning curves, we're talking about, you know, how we don't want to shock kids and all of a sudden, you know, give them a summative when they haven't had formatives, right? Well, it's the same for us. You know, we had a chance to experiment and kind of see how things went and and then kind of document how that went. And and I think that allowed us to better ease into the systems. Tim? Can I can I add on there? I, I think um I as I'm reflecting, I'm remembering that spring of 2020. And I James, correct me if I'm wrong, but we were kind of trying to get something to present to faculty before the end of the 2020 school yes, year. And so we, okay. we were kind of booking it. We we're trying to get this language agreed upon. We got a version, we got a draft. And then I, I remember the meeting and I, we realized that we had to present to the faculty like that next week or in the next two weeks. And James, I think you said, I'm gonna take a crack at making the, the presentation showing, you know, like the months of work that, that we had been doing. Um, we gave the presentation. We tried to give lots of time to process as, as a whole staff. Some people like like you, Anna, you were ready for it. You, you were ready to start switching. I'm going to just guess that a majority of people at the end of, uh, of the 2020 spring where everyone didn't know what, what was going on, this is just another thing that was just kind of like, I'm not quite sure what's, what's going on yet. Um, I'm going to guess that many of our staff, and I can speak from my math department, that many of us at that point had not thought about what that would mean. Um, and then like, but the momentum was what we were trying to kind of keep, right? We wanted that momentum going into the fall of 2020. And I don't know if, if now is when you, when you want to talk about this, you can let me know, but we lost momentum, right? When, when James left, right? When James left and new leadership came in and the fall of 2020 being what it was on online still, we took a major break. Um, we didn't do a whole lot. The next time I talked to the principal, um, about it was December of 2020 and realizing that we can't do it for the 2021-22 year. We're going to take a crack for the 22-23 um, year. And that's, I mean, we can dive into where, where that process has been over the last year and a half. But it, I remember like trying to hold on to that, to, that, to that momentum. So spring of 2020, James left the principal position at your school uh, and I'm seeing head nods. Yes. And so what I'm what my question now is, uh, Anna, you mentioned that James was giving you um, very specific chunked goals as part of a larger timeline uh, to ease the anxiety, which is an excellent strategy. Uh, and I'm curious that strategy, the chunking, the plan, the knowing like how how long 
was it week, days, weeks, months? How long was each chunk of time that he would give you a goal? And then I would say it wasn't months. It was years. I think the plan was actually over a period of like, was it five to seven years, James? It was quite a, a lot, if I recall correctly. Maybe yeah. I'm overextending. And so I, I think even having that longevity made me realize we're not just making a trendy change. We're making a cultural shift right? Like we're not talking about something that, Hey, everybody's talking about this. Now we're suddenly going to be doing this right. Instead, it was like, okay, let's make sure we're knowledgeable about this first. Once we're knowledgeable, let's start developing the foundational groundwork, the, the, the ideas that, and the documents that we need in order to, for this to make sense and, and make sure that we have all these learning tools available um, and created before we start launching. And in terms of momentum, here's the interesting part. We had a new, I actually ended up on the committee to interview the new, the new principal somehow. And while I was in there, I was like, okay, is he going to keep the momentum going? Like, are we going to keep, because I was like, dude, I just spent like how many years? I don't want this lost. Are you kidding? I just invested. You know, now, that's so, a good question. When March 2020 happened, what year was that in the larger arc? That that would have been uh, so in 2015. Sort of sketched out a five year. And I was right. It was a five year plan. And so so that would have been the end of five years. The the, the goal was to to start adopting the grading system for the uh, September 2020 school year. And then, yeah. but you know, there was this COVID thing that got in the way, uh, and 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 also simultaneously, just so um, so folks are aware, and, and neither Anna or Tim, I think, was on this other committee, is that I was meeting with parents on a regular basis to roll it out with them and getting their input, and then we also had a student committee that was that I was meeting with to get their input. So there was there was so everybody, all the pumps had sort of been primed, and we we basically the PTA was on board. The parent group was on board. They were sort of becoming advocates of this as well to the larger community. The kids were on board and then and then stopped. <laughs> so uh, it kind of just it was like, oh, everything was in place. And I, and I do for other administrators who might be listening to the at the same time that this is going on, I've got people in my back pocket saying, let's do this already. Like, let's start this last year. You know, so it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I get you. And these are parents and, and teachers and everybody else. So it's, it's, it's sort of keeping them happy and letting them know that we're progressing, but not scaring people that we're progressing too fast, but also making sure that it, everything is logical. And, and it's like that Ed Sullivan with the guy with the plates, you know, spinning the plates at the same time. But and then I don't know. I, I know I don't know the specifics of what happened after I left in 2020. Um, but Tim Natter can both talk to what the exciting thing that's supposed to happen in. August of 2022. Yeah. So um, as we hired a new principal, standards-based grading was definitely uh, in the forefront of my mind. I did not want that momentum lost. And it it was indeed a, a crazy year coming back. And our new principal was trying to, our new director, of high, our pr principal of high school was trying to get himself established. And he, you know, openly said, hey, we're not going to do this this year, but you should know that I'm thinking about this for next year. And so I was over there, like on the back end, sending him links to all the work that James had done, all the PowerPoints, right, all the stuff, like, look, here's the file. Um, and even, you know, texting James and saying, hey, James, here's the new principal's email address and checking with the principal and saying, hey, just so you know, I'm still in contact with the assistant principal who designed this. So if you want to know, I can, you know, and so kind of schmoozing from, from that direction as well. Um, however, there, there were some interesting factors we had in place um, in terms of that momentum and that it has to do with teacher turnover. We had a pandemic. Okay. And so a ton of teachers not a ton. I don't want to say a ton. It wasn't really a ton, but I would say a good amount of staff ended up moving on after the That's pandemic yeah. for various reasons, including a strict quarantine in the country. Um, so we kind of ended up with people who had zero understanding of the history, the timeline of the how and the why, and all of that educational foundation that we had laid. Some of them had not been in those same professional developments that I had the privilege of being in. And even though we work, of course, with knowledgeable people who, of 
course had some awareness of, of what standards-based grading was. That whole process that I was able to be a part of, they were not able to be a part of, right? Except Tim was there and he can speak to where we went next in terms of trying to implement. Yeah, I everything you're saying Anna, is just bringing back really <laughs> strong memories. Um, so let me bring it to spring of 2021. Um, we are just coming back for hybrid learning, half in, half out, um, still on Zoom. Our administrative team for the following fall has been hired, and three out of four people are new to the school. And so the academic dean um, actually starts looking, I think, a lot at what Anna sent to the administrative team. He started reading a lot of the notes that I had been typing during those um, pandemic meetings, which I was very happy about. Um, and he, they... They made us aware that this was going to move forward in the fall of 2021, and they started to collect a team of teachers from from most of the departments around uh, from all of the school departments. Um, then fall of 2021 hits and we start to kind of dive back in, of course, like what you said on like tons of new teachers are looking at the language that we spent months on and it, it was I don't know it's, it's hard because they're like hey we don't really like this language and i'm like. Hey, we spent three months on it. Can we just like it, please? Um, and it was, it was like I want to respect the fact that new ideas and new blood—that's a good thing. That's going to help us strengthen this this movement. But I also don't want to relitigate every word in those descriptors. We just didn't have that time. That wasn't going to help us. So we had to do a little balance of like, okay, we can rethink some things, but some things we're just going to take as gold here. Let's just keep on going. Um, so then 2021, feel free to stop me whenever you want, but 2021 kind of progresses and we are moving departments forward on making um, grading, uh, help me Anna here, We're making grading, um, not rubrics, not standards, but yeah, reporting standards here. So every department is making their own reporting standards. So math made four um, and every department made around three to seven here. Um, then, we start in the January of 2022 um, with pilot programs. And so a course in every department started to pilot standards-based grading and started to figure out what would this was gonna feel for the teachers involved and for the students involved. Um, I can say for the math department, like I had a colleague and I both on this, on this, on this committee, we piloted it for math nine. There were some kinks. We did some new projects because we wanted to make sure that we were assessing our new reporting standards, which did not just have traditional mathematics, but also had problem solving and communication in it, which I think if you talk to most math teachers, like they want to assess that, but they don't know how that fits into the traditional content, right? So you, had you have to, a question, Greg? Yeah, yeah, you had to distinguish what was going to be assessed for academic achievement and then what precisely you were going to assess as far as social uh, competencies in the classroom, language and expression, uh, presentation skills, just being able to communicate right. the math was uh, reported differently than their capacity to do the math. And you had to figure out how to distinguish those things. Yeah, and I, here's my sense of this. I think that most math teachers want to value problem solving and value communication skills. But I think where most math teachers start to have doubts is when in the old system of just averaging everything, they don't want the like other algebra skills to be placed in the same boat as a communication skill. And so what standards-based grading does in a lovely way is it lets people get these different grades in these different areas. So, hey, you're an amazing problem solver. Your algebra skills need work, but your communication skills are right on. I, I feel like that's where standards-based grading wins is, is it lets like these descriptors and these different reporting standards shine through um, which I, I really enjoyed that, that process of convincing my colleagues that this is going to make our job much easier. And it sounds like as soon as it was introduced, Tim, it sounds like you were just already there, ready to do it. And there was absolutely no resistance on your part to adopt this kind of standards based approach to separating and distinguishing academics from behaviors. It, would you agree with that? I mean, me personally, I, I was ready to rock and roll when James first started this thing when, when I first got there, right? I mean, I, and I think that the, the philosophical um, ground was, was ripe for this. Um, did I still have colleagues who I needed to convince about how standards-based grading works? Definitely, definitely. And so throughout that spring of 2022, 
we were starting to get more and more teachers looking at assessments and trying to look at it through a standards-based grading lens compared to a, a, a traditional per percent lens. Um, and that was just another great thing because of the collaboration that it, it, it requires. You need to look at something and say, is this mastery? What is mastery here, right? We need to all <laughs> think ha and have like a, a common understanding of that. And so those I'd conversations were rich. Of, of, right on this alley, uh, right down this alley, I, I love to ask teachers, what does 100% mean? Does it mean proficient or does it mean advanced? It's a fantastic uh, question. And I, I love it because it's if your assessments don't have advanced level questions that go beyond the instructional materials provided, then 100% doesn't mean advanced. <laughs> yeah. Literally, we've had that conversation five times in, in, in the past spring, realizing that our assessments actually don't go to our top level of a seven and realizing that, hey, if we want to actually give kids a chance to get a seven, we need to think of questions that assess that, that level of understanding. Um, which I think a lot of the traditional math teachers who like want to maintain high rigor and we don't want to make this easier for kids, they're on board with that. They, they say, yeah, let's, let's think of some really deep conceptual questions that if they get that, they're going to earn a seven. Like I can proudly give that kid a seven in terms of their understanding. Now, I think, go, ahead, go ahead, James, go ahead. I was going to say, we, we have the advantage of in, in Panama that we were in an, I, an IB system. So the, the juniors and seniors, at least, were, were versed in the one through seven. Parents understood the one through seven. That could, uh, in the IB, a seven is a seven. It's not 100%. It's a seven. You know, and it has its own language that goes with it. And, we, and as Tim said, we spent a lot of time in that committee during the pandemic, like writing those grade descriptors and identifying, you know, advanced mastery, mastery advanced mastery. And I think we called it exceptional mastery was the extraordinary. Seven. Extraordinary. Yeah. Yep. Word. And I, I do have to give credit to Warren Schnack, who's currently in Switzerland, Actually, I don't know where he's currently yes. is. Working in Switzerland, who was the sort of the, the dean of that uh, language um, manipulation. But um, but we, when I moved from Panama, I went to Taiwan and and was involved in a similar rollout. Um, that was not an IB school, and so and there was that whole big question about what is mastery. And I and I said before we have that conversation, let's just agree that we'll have three points of mastery, and let's save the four conversation for later. Because we're not at the point yet where we can identify mastery because let's just get, we can identify mastery, we can't identify advanced mastery yet. Let's, let's play with that for a while. And there was, there was some pushback on that because people wanted to, well, how do you award the force? Well, you do that through your comments. You, know, you give the positive feedback there. But, but that mastery conversation is, it shouldn't, it shouldn't sink the boat, right? And that's why I said, let's just do three levels of, of reporting and let's, let's have that conversation, but not right now. <laughs> let's do that. And I think it's really important that we distinguish that you were in Panama working with an IB school, uh, international right. uh, baccalaureate, I believe. Yes and, yes. and that system, that curriculum, that grading system, uh, before I ask about the seven achievement levels and what it, how it relates to depth of knowledge, before I ask that question, yeah. I want to ask Anna, um, I was just talking to Tim about the fact that as soon as it was introduced to him, he was completely on board. It made sense. It was it was exciting. It was new. It made sense. He was on board. Let's do it. Yes. Uh, now, Anna, you didn't have that same response. And I know we addressed it a little bit earlier, but I just wanted to really dig in because I think this your perspective is the perspective of most educators who are having standards based grading introduced to them. And so knowing Tim's perspective and hearing how he felt going into it, I think it's really important to really understand the perspective you had when it was introduced as it was being continuously introduced and the obstacles and challenges you faced. Well, I think that um, by the time we started, I was definitely like, I believe that this helps create a lot more equity. It helps us create a lot more balanced grades. And contrary to what I thought that it would create great inflation, I actually found that it didn't. And that, you know, was a little bit shocking for some students who really just wanted their A, right? And, and would push for extra points here, extra points there. I was dealing with high powered students, high anxiety level students. And um, even just the this last year, even though it was a difficult year, when I wasn't mentioning grades, when I was keeping it at a feedback level, especially, um, you could tell that there was a huge change in their anxiety levels as soon as like they thought grades came into play. 
And the questions suddenly shifted from talking about learning and talking about what they were curious about and talking about what was interesting to how do I get the grade that I want to have, right? And um, and I think that, that that really solidified my mind. This was the right way to go. I found myself doing a lot more related to voice and choice and also not feeling like I had to grade absolutely every single formative in order to document that learning journey. And so I was ready for it. Here's what happened. I was the head of department this past year, and I had a wonderful staff that I also think was on board. They wanted to push forward with standards-based grading. I had two different department teachers that were in that same pilot program. And I think what was difficult for me, being the orderly want to know, right, is my automatic instinct was, as we're developing our standards, let's let's think about alignment. Let's go have a conversation with middle school first and kind of think about how how is this all going to jive, right? Unfortunately, <laughs> this was more about kind of like, we're piloting, let's put together something, let's roll this out, show parents what it looks like. And I was in this corner over here going, you know, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it ain't gonna be pretty folks, you know? And, and it was really hard for me because I'm so type A, like I had a lot of answers. I wanted to, you know, create more alignment before going into that. But the other thing that happened was that my two teachers had very different ways of approaching it. And they struggled to kind of like get on the same wavelength to really unify their approaches. And it was, again, I think an experiment. And in the end, any kind of experimentation in the right direction is good, right? And I have to, you know, recognize that at the end of the day, um, progress is progress, right? But um, it was still painful, <laughs> okay? Like, let's just put it that way. I, I was happy it was happening. I was still wanting to be supportive, but whew, it was it was some rough waters trying to get a bunch of, and I, I'm a good example of this, garrulous English teachers together trying to make decisions, friends, okay? Like, it's a whole different ballgame, and, uh, and it was a painful process, but I think we ended up with some good documentation with the help of a lot of coaching help. From that now that, that leads me to a, a follow up here. And, and I haven't thought of, I forgot about the seven achievement levels in the DOK that I want to ask. But Anna, how important do you think it was to have the top down support of this bottom up implementation approach? Would it have worked without James's leadership? I mean, we wouldn't have been remotely close to doing any of this, I don't think, without James's leadership. Although we did have plenty of people who were setting the groundwork for us in elementary and middle school, I think that there were still plenty of high school teachers that were resistant, a lot of parents that were resistant, had we not had certain processes and certain documentation in place. I don't think anybody would have been ready to even get to this step. Well, I'll throw in there as well that um, there, one of the things that we did really well as an admin team, not, not just me, but other members of the team is we hired really well. So we hired in people like Tim and his wife, Brittany, who had, we knew were coming in with this exposure and this experience to things um, like Joe Bowler's school of thought. And like, we knew that they were coming in philosophically folks like Gavin and Ingrid, um, Tiffany Fiebert, you know, we hired her. She'd come from a school in, in New Delhi who had already done standards-based grading. So we hired these people um, who came in and were, were able to calm the fears of everybody around them and say, no, no, I've already done this or I'm aligned with this. I get it. It's not the end of the world. We can do this. It's just that I think that the thing that always drives me crazy on, especially on the Facebook group is you see these posts from these teachers who say, we were told yesterday that we're implementing standard-based grading on, you know, in August, please help me. <laughs> what, what admin in their right mind comes in and just says, do this tomorrow, right? That's, I mean, but they do. And oh, that's- yeah. no. I've, I talk, I'm talking to somebody in Central California right now, and, and they're looking to do it in August, and none of the teachers are on board, and, and it's just, it's painful to, to hear, uh, and, and uh, James, I do want to appreciate you uh, uh, looping in the leadership team that you have, because I know I said, would it have happened without James's leadership, and I recognize that it's not just James, it was the leadership team that was, uh, that was present, and the coaches that you brought in. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to give it to like Marina McDonald again, like Marina McDonald wrangled that math department and got them on board in a way that that kept them from completely derailing the cart because she was able to be there and say, yes, yes, I get it. But 
you know, here's what it is. So yeah, the coaches, coaches are, I mean, but not every public school in the U S can afford coaches. And so we had the luxury of being well-staffed and well-resourced and with the train that had left the station and, and all the admin was on board with it. And it was, we were going to put money on it and we were going to make decisions based on it. Without um, the coaches well, might it have taken longer. Yes. I would, I would big push for coaches, huge, hugely um, instrumental and supportive. And without, and even, even as uh, nice a guy as I can be, I still come in with the admin hat, which changes the conversation. Yep. And so a coach, a coach is a completely different conversation with the teacher than right. I can have with the teacher. Uh, you know, when it comes to, and I'm finally going to circle back to that seven level of achievement and DOK relation that, uh, when it comes down to really creating that shared language, that seems to be a real big component that, that you in Panama and all of the teachers and staff and leadership worked so hard for so long to create with each other, that this idea of top-down support from James and his leadership team and all the coaches, supporting, not dictating, a bottom-up creation of that shared language so that the uh, the the levels deciding that they're going to be seven levels deciding which language is going to define each of those levels was a bottom up teacher created process so that when new teachers came in you weren't just telling them you were inviting them to come in and be part of that bottom up implementation process i'm very curious what that was like can i can i start on this one um i i think one thing that you said, Greg, made me think about, and I think, Anna, you talked about how elementary and, and middle school had already had standards-based grading when the high school decided to dive in. And so, like, ground-up movements are great, but you can go from the ground and go up in slightly different directions, right? And so, my, my wife teaches middle school math at the same school in Panama, and so throughout the, the last school year, I just kept hearing from her, hey, I know you guys are doing this work. Why aren't we agreeing on the same language? Why aren't we having meetings six through 12 mathematics? And I said, that's a great idea. And uh, the, the current leadership of the committee, I, they were aware of that. And I think our principal met with the principals of the middle and the elementary midway through the process to kind of get some agreement. I would have loved for that, that meeting with all the principals to happen slightly earlier so that, that we could like as a school agree on some of these fundamentals that would I think for parents and for students make it a really like smooth ride right from k up to 12 if the language is roughly the same um so i feel like the ground up is great but having some top down parameters would be nice and be like all right well we're all going to use this type of language here or here's some time for the math department 6 through 12 to meet and eventually we were given that. And the, the fact that my wife works in the middle school math made it easy for us to be like, okay, well, we have four reporting standards, you have five, but that fifth one can fit into this one. And we can pretty much have the same four in six through eight and nine through 12 now. And that, so we, we eventually got there. I think that that was a challenge for other departments. And I think you mentioned English. I think I, I know science also had a little bit of a thing there as well. But, um, but I know that about, mm -hmm. yeah, I was just say Anna was actually, brought that up, raised that point several as an elementary parent um, where the elementary had already rolled out the process. Anna was in, in our larger meetings would say, well, why aren't we doing this the same way the elementary is? Because that just makes sense for everybody, right? That's the easiest thing. And I have, I have the, the privilege of, of having, being married to the middle school principal at the time. So we were having those, we, well, those principals were talking all the time, but, um, and I, I really want Tim to share from his perspective, why we went to seven in the committee because that was a that was a very we, we argued for a long time uh, over over whether we do three four or seven and um I, I i have my memory of how that conversation happened and i i remember being on the losing end of the argument um and but tim uh may want to share why we went to seven and so not feel free to right feel free to chime in james when it when you remember things differently but um the main thing that I remember with the three and the four option, um, teachers being like, we need more differentiation between levels. Like the, 
the the four option I, I have used in the past, right? One is beginning, two is progressing, three is meeting, four is extending. Awesome. What what tends to happen for me is that that two bucket, the progressing bucket, it's a huge bucket. It's a huge bucket. Progressing is a little bit above beginning and it's right before meeting, right? And so I think what a lot of people, their reservations about three and four points was that we needed a, the ability to track growth better. If a kid starts as a low progressing and ends as a high progressing, the, the, the report card's not going to show any growth, even though we know, they know that they did have growth. So James, that's what I remember about three and four. I think we ended up going with seven because of the IB nature of the high school, right? We knew that 11 and 12th graders were going to be on a, on a seven point scale. So why not get them used to that feeling in ninth and 10th? Is that, is that how you remember that? Yeah, I, I do remember that as well. And also the parent feedback was very much, especially from a lot of our European parents, because the yeah. International School of Panama has like 45 nationalities. It's not, you know, it's, it's a very diverse group of people, staff and, and parents. And so uh, and our European parents were very much like, just adopt the IB system. Let's just do it. Yeah. And so, exactly. but then for us, it was left to, okay, if we're going to have seven, like, what do we call those? And how do we just differentiate between those? And how do we get teachers to understand those differences and that and that really that five is great like five is okay like we need to send a message out to parents that five is a perfect your child is doing wonderfully if there are four or five that is that is amazing and we're happy with that and that's part of that parent committee was getting that message out through them too but but um but yeah it was uh it was definitely i think the ib being an ib school influenced the seven um so if tom gusky is listening and he's like why I, he's like i've said no more than six we went to seven because of the IB tiles. Why? Right. I also think that, um, if you don't mind me jumping in, I also think the high school has specific challenges with adopting SVGs that are very different from the ones that elementary and high school face, especially when you're in a high-powered international private school because everybody's college-focused. Everybody's worried about what is this going to look like to my college? Everybody's wondering, what does this mean for our advanced programs? What does this mean for our IB system? And um, some parents, of course, thinking, oh, God, what does this mean for my child right when they're getting college ready and like you know is this going to be okay for them right and so there were a lot of concerns I think that are unique to high school and to marry that to the IB rubrics was a natural way I think for teachers to get what they had to do and maybe smooth the transition for them um, but also it was a language that parents understood right because you know and I, and I also think it was a natural way of communicating because parents were also getting annoyed. They were like, oh, well, that my child has an 85%, but like they're at a four. Like, I don't understand, right. you know? And, and it was kind of like, why is this weird disparity? Why this grade conversion and jumping through all these hoops just to put a one through 100% when I just want to know, like, what, what sort of a score is my kid going to get on those assessments at right. the end, you know? And I, and I, I put in, I, I, I made it, conscious decision to not make very many absolutes when we started the process. Like there weren't any things where I was going to put my thumb on the scale. It was very much like, let's, let's get everybody's voice. But one absolute I did actually say at the beginning and at every meeting is we are not converting. Like this will never be this, whatever we go to is going to be the scale. And that's going to be the scale. We're not turning it into a one to a hundred because I've seen that kill the process. And, and that was, no, not everybody was on board with that, but I said that that absolutely cannot happen. And that was probably one of one of maybe two things that I said, absolutely not. Well, and that and that was, I think a wise decision, but you know, I'm the one who made the decision, so I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> I've got two thoughts that I'd love to add before. I, I think that James, I have a, a quote of yours stuck in my head from one of the last meetings in person. You said, I'm gonna vote for three. You're all gonna go for seven, and that's okay, but remember in like six years, when you think that three is better, just think that James said it first here. I remember that, that quote. Yeah. Um, and the, the yeah, second thing, if you are in the IB program at all, you know that predicted grades are a huge thing, right? Students um, apply to colleges based on the predicted grade that the teacher gives you um, based on what they think you'll get on the IB exams. One massive issue for us in that debate was, hey, if ninth grade and 10th grade are on a seven point scale, are all of these grades that we're giving in ninth through 10th grade predicted grades? Is that like, as, as a ninth grader, if you get a five on whatever topic you're on in math, like solving one three-step equations, is that what we think you're gonna get on the math IB exam in, in your 12th grade year? And we had to be really clear about how, no, like 
even though it's the same as the IB, it's not a predicted grade right here. That, that can't be how we think about that. Um, Sorry, I, I get, so those, yeah. Yeah, that got us into some other deep water as well. So I, I had a meeting, uh, a HOD meeting uh, with the heads of the department. And, you know, I basically said, like, we're going to use the IB grade descriptors that are written for 11th and 12th graders, and we're just going to apply them down to the nines and tens with, with, with by removing some of the adjectives and sort of somewhat watering them down a bit. And I, I got a very heated meeting the next day with the director of teaching and learning who said, oh, apparently you're now writing all the curriculum for the school. And I said, oh, no, it's not, that's not what's happening. Like, we're just trying to translate between 9, 10, and 11, 12. It's not a curriculum decision. I'm not, I'm not treading on your territory. I'm just trying to come up with a whole high school holistic approach uh, and and get nines and tens prepared for that conversation. And that was the, the main thing I kept trying to emphasize with people is that it, it's a conversation with the kids about their progress and their learning. That's what we're trying to create. There's the, we, we need to not get bogged down on the number and we need to get, have more focus on the conversation. So, and that's, I think everybody who enters this if they don't have that at the heart of their thinking process, that it's really about changing the conversation about learning, then they get bogged down in these other details and then they end up getting all kinds of weird questions that they can't answer or they get into fights over things that they shouldn't be getting into fights over because it should be about changing the conversation. Now, one of the things that I, I want to say right now is that from everything that we've talked about uh, today, there's, uh, we've, you know, we've talked about how uh, so many teacher assumptions have caused a lot of resistance in the five years that it took for it to even begin to be ready to take place. Uh, you know, the fact that grades tell a story, the fact that, you know, teachers want to know how exactly am I supposed to do the things that you're telling me how to do before they're able to engage in the questions of why and and what you know before they get into the how so all of these things about you know understanding the research but how do i do this and being overwhelmed what is the message you would like to send to any administrator or teacher who thinks they should be adopting and adapting standards-based grading but is feeling a little hesitant or overwhelmed about it yeah, I think that the message, and I think Jameson has been pretty clear about this throughout the whole thing, is that this this is a process. This is a philosophical movement. Um, you have to, you can't skip steps. You, you got to start where you are. You have to, like, agree on these, like, elementary and basic but fundamental things before you get to this moment where you, like, where you switch the, uh, the uh, switch here, where, where you flip the switch, right? And so... I, I think that for me, if I'm t talking to another teacher about this, I, I want to first start by saying, like, are, are you, do you see how the traditional way of grading fails? Like, do you see how that is not a good way of describing a, a student's achievement? And I think most people can, can see that. And then for me, it's like, okay, once you have that why, then you can start figuring out all the smaller things about, okay, how many reporting standards, how many achievement levels. But if you if you get stuck in that how, like going back to the why and being being really sure that you understand the the goodness that that you're going for, I would say I would say very similar. I think so. I had a very one of my very best friends in the world, a guy very smart, great teacher. We worked together for ten years in public schools in Oregon, and we went out for lunch. Uh, and he said basically something effective. Anybody who reads and believes Joe Feldman's book should lose their license as a teacher. And I was like, what? <laughs> Still famous. Like, that's like a, what? And because he only has been experiencing this from the receptive end, the pointy end of the, spe of the spear. Like, so he's a, he's a teacher, a classroom teacher, and some folks in admin in the, in the district read the book, decided we're going to adopt all these things, never really clued the teachers in. And so he's openly, and he, he's a guy who would normally philosophically be on your side. But because the way it was rolled out to him uh, and he's decided he's just dug in his heels and said, no, absolutely not. And he's openly defiant about it. And I was trying, I was like, no, look, like, I understand the book. <laughs> you should go read the book because maybe your admin isn't implementing it the way that Joe Feldman talks about. Um, and by the way, if anybody's listening, go read the book. 
<laughs> Reading for Equity is an excellent book. It should be in everybody's shelf. But um, the I think what I would say is that you have to be cognizant of the fact that teachers have 4 million things coming at them all the time. They're dealing with their kids are their number one priority, right? And so they're dealing with that, their content and they're, they're getting ready for classes and being grading and all this other stuff is coming at them. And then you throw this other thing on top. And if it's not managed correctly, you're going to get resistance and you're going to get people will shoot down a good idea because they just don't have the time or the bandwidth for it. And so it needs to be, and it's also, it's also deeply personal, like grading and assessment is a deeply personal teachers structure their entire classroom, their entire year, their entire syllabus around their grading practices. And projects are made because they fit into certain niches. And, and, and for me, the, the moment that the light went on for me was I was in a classroom in, in Rabat, Morocco, and a kid came up to me and said, I, I had four bins because that's what I've been taught as a teacher. And a, and a kid come up to me and said, can you change this from the paper bin to the from the test bin to the projects and papers bin. And I said, why? He goes, well, because that would boost my grade and I would go from a 79 to an 81, I would get a B. And I was like, wait a second, the math doesn't make sense anymore. Like I thought this was a mathematical equation, but it's not. And I had that conclusion on my own, but not everybody's gonna have that conclusion on their own until you give them time to think about it. And that's, and so all these admin and people who are rushing to implement this without taking that, Teach that time to get your teachers involved are really shooting themselves in the foot. And unfortunately, you're going to face more problems down the road because you don't have all the philosophical, as, as Tim said, it's really that philosophical conversation that needs to happen. Once you get that, I think a lot of the problems iron themselves out. And that's the thing is those teachers who were panicked at the beginning, I kept saying, I said this in every staff meeting. I said, some of you are like ready to go. Some of you are absolutely not. Some of you are in the between and you're nervous. So for those of you who are in between and nervous, like we'll answer those questions eventually. So, okay. My last question for today, and then I, okay. I promise, because we're we've been going for a while here, uh, and and we've gotten real deep into this. I'm very curious. Now, James, Tim, both of you, I'm very curious if anybody is looking to adopt and adapt standards-based grading or is struggling with it. Where would you recommend they go to learn more? Would it, uh, are you? available to speak with people about standards-based grading and could they reach out to you or is there a group or a web page or an organization they should reach out to? James, I'm going to let you have the majority of this because I think you have more of the resources in your brain. Um, I am happy to eat to talk with any teachers who are who are struggling with this because I, I think as James, your story in Morocco shows, I think we get so much comfort from the math and the math just tells it all. Eight out of 10 is 80%. You can't doubt that. But like, if you're starting to realize that that's all arbitrary, like a lot of the, the ground that you're stepping on becomes very loose. And you're like, oh my gosh, what else is arbitrary, right? Um, so I would, I would be happy to talk to anyone who wants to. As far as resources, James, I'll let, I'll let you talk it through. Sure. Yeah, I, same as well. I think that anybody who's feeling overwhelmed or nervous or any admin who are questioning, we're being given commands from above to implement this tomorrow. And I, I can definitely provide them lots of reasons why they can push back against whoever's telling them to implement it tomorrow as to why it shouldn't be implemented tomorrow. I think probably the book by Emily Rinkema and Stan um, Williams on the, uh, the uh, standards-based classroom, I think is a, is a must read for any teacher who's thinking about striking off on their own and doing this. Uh, Ken O'Connor's Repair Kit for Grading is also an essential one. Um, for admin folks, I think if you're looking at uh, Tom Gusky and Sue Brookhart's book on, on creating standards-based report cards, it's, it's an actual manual on how to create a standards-based report card. Um, those are all really good books. But I think the community that Greg and I are, are members of, um, there's, a, there's a Twitter on Thursday mornings, um, or sorry, it's Wednesday nights. I'm switching my time zones. I was participating from Taiwan on Thursday morning. It was Wednesday, Wednesday nights uh, called SBL Chat. Um, and then there's a Facebook group called Standards-Based Grading and Reporting. And then there's a whole bunch of other little ones for various disciplines. So there's a NGSS and Standards-Based Grading one. There's one for English teachers. Um, the only thing I would say, don't go on those groups and just say, we're implementing standard-based grading. How do I do it? Because that's a really big question. So go on and read and learn and listen and watch and see what people are saying. Um, 
I would love for there to be other spaces that, um, and Greg, you may, you dabble a bit more, you're deeper into this than I am. So you may have more places that people go uh, to share. Um, but I think that anybody who's looking to do it who feels panicked should know that there are plenty of us out there who are willing to stand up for you and say, push back, slow down, slow everything down. Let's, let's, let's get coals rather than flames. And that's really what we need. We're looking for here is coals rather than flames and make sure that we're, we're, we're taking the time to understand the why and the, and the philosophy. Um, but yes, absolutely. I can provide my email address. Folks are more than happy uh, to reach out or I'm more than happy to respond to folks who reach out. Um, who have any questions along those lines? James, Tim, Anna, you know, I, I hear the message here that it's not an overnight process and that it takes an extraordinary amount of time uh, to get the philosophical agreements before focusing on the actual implementation. James, I think that is literally something you've told me. And so, so I, I hear the message and I'm very, very glad that James, Tim, Anna, that you were here to have this conversation about assessments in standards-based grading in new schools. So I think it's been an amazing conversation and I'm really appreciative to have you all here. Uh, and I, I wanna thank you again for taking the time and thank you. Thank you, Greg. It was great to meet you and thank you for having us. Thank, yeah, thanks for creating this space and good luck with season three.